City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All Hornets listeners, very exciting announcement before the start of this podcast. The All Hornets podcast has been nominated for Best Team Podcast by the Sports Podcast Awards. These are the kind of premier sporting podcast awards in the industry, and we are one of only two independents against 12 other team podcasts from across a range of sports in different countries. Um, We absolutely need your help because it's a public vote. Um, so please support us if you enjoy listening to the show. We, you know, some of these podcasts have massive leadership uh, listenerships. So if you listen to this, we need every single one of you to help vote for us. And Chase is going to tell you exactly how you can do that right now. So listeners, you are the reason that we are here and we are able to be eligible for awards like this. And you are going to be the reason why we win an award like this. You go to sportspodcastgroup.com slash sports underscore category. You find the best team podcast category. You're going to register on that website, sign up for an account because you have to be logged in to vote. And then you're going to vote for all Hornets podcast network, the bottom left of the two columns there. I mean, we're up against... Talking Giants from John Boy Media, probably the most popular New York Giants podcast on the market. A couple of podcasts from The Athletic, uh, CLNS Media about the Boston Celtics. There's so many big networks that we're up against here. And it's just me and James and a couple other people at, at Sports Illustrated running the show here. So we, to, to us, this is a great achievement already. But if you guys are able to boost us up here, get us this victory, it would mean the world to me and James. Thank you all for listening, and if you go vote, thank you again. Thank you even more. So we appreciate you all. 
Welcome to Inside the Hive. Joining me, as he does every week, is Chase Whitney. Chase, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It is mid-March. It is snowing here outside of my house, uh, but that is okay. We'll get over it. Um, I'm doing well. We're rounding out the regular season here. It's coming to a close pretty quickly. You know what? You know what we won't get over? Uh, Mark Williams' injury. Damn, no. that sucked. <laughs> no, that was unfortunate. That was a real shame. That it was. Was, um, was it not like the most predictable thing though that ugh. we'd be enjoying something for like a month and then it would be taken away from us? Yeah, you can't have good things. What are you talking about? No, that, like, that's the, we we all we've known that for years, much less like this year specifically. So absolutely. Well, um, thanks for joining me, Chase. Uh, on this week's podcast, we are. Having Marlon Garnett, Hornets assistant coach, is joining the podcast. He did a kind of a good 20-so minute interview, which will be towards the, the latter end of this podcast. Um, so make sure you stay on and listen to the Marlon Garnett interview. It's really interesting. Look, talk about uh, the Hornets defensive surge. Um, he's the specific assistant coach allocated to Lamelo Balls. So talked a little bit about his his development and also Kai Jones too. So it was a really uh, interesting discussion with Marlon. But before we get into that, um, we're going to talk a little bit stock up, stock down with some of the Hornets young players. Um, but first, Chase, I have to say I love this time of year because it is a, a four-hour time difference between Hornets games starting. So the, I think what well, it was eleven o'clock started through the night. I mean, it was just it was just wonderful over here. So I'm very much enjoying the the time change. I don't know how long. I think it changes in a couple of weeks, um, but I'm going to enjoy it while I can. Well, you'll be happy to know that you might not be a getting any of these five-hour time differences for NBA games next year. Uh, I'm, U.S. is no longer doing daylight saving time. So we sprung forward like last Sunday, and then we're springing forward forever. So you might have a, a four-hour well, time difference for most of these Hornets games coming up here. Sorry, they're, next they're not, what do you mean they're not doing daylight save? How can you not do a time? I don't understand. I don't... This is way above my pay grade as well. I don't really understand it either because you'd think that if you started doing it however many hundreds of years ago so the farmers didn't have to get up and farm in the dark in the morning that you would just have to do it forever. But apparently that that's, that's not going to be a thing anymore and they're just going to keep it in whatever time frame schedule that we're at now so in, in March. So, so you're we, saying that next... Forward. That means that next season, when the clocks change in the UK in October, that the the US will be only four hours behind for me for the East Coast. That's what you're yes. saying. Yeah, because we are, the US daylight saving time what? is like early March and early November. And the one in early November is just not going to happen. I'm pretty sure. So, oh my god, we're yeah, we've this we've is sprung forward for all of eternity. For someone like me, this. I, I, I can't believe this has you. actually happened. How, who's ch- who can change time? <laughs> I, apparently, just the U.S. government can just decide. Wow. Joe Biden, my president. I, I, yeah, for real. <laughs> I, thank you, Joe. Um, I'm big fan uh, of, of four-hour time difference. If that's the case for next year, that makes my life uh, a lot easier. So, well, that is positive news I was not expecting. Um I'll have to wait for next year to get through the benefits of that. But let's let's not get too sidetracked about the time just changing in the US. <laughs> let's let's talk a little stock up, stock down. Um, Chase, I put to you to come up with three prospects that you wanted to talk about. Stock up, stock down. Um, on prospects on the roster, I should say. Um, we've not done a little check in here on some of the Hornets young players in a little while. So uh, yeah, I'm going to hand over to you. Who who do you want to who do you want to talk about first? 
All right. Do you do you want me to list all three of them off, and you can pick one, or do you just want me to rip one off first, and we can you go you there? rip off? Uh, go, go on. You can yeah, rip one off. Rip one off. All right. So I'm gonna go with JT Thor. I feel like of a lo- all the players on the Hornets this year, he has been someone we've maybe talked about. Probably not the least, but definitely less than with the most, most consistent playing time. Right, he's, he's about he's the least, in, and he's yeah. always playing basically. Right, How, of of especially of the group of like him and Kai and Book Knight, the twenty twenty one or draftees, he's easily played the most out of them three. Uh, and over this last recent stretch, he's been pretty good. I mean, it, the obviously we know what type of defensive player he is, just like a long, versatile, mobile forward that has actually gotten a little bit of small ball center minutes. Uh, I, I don't remember if it was against Detroit. Or mm. another team. Of, there was a bit of foul trouble, wasn't there? I think. They I think so. Yeah. yeah, and he he ended up playing the five for a little bit, which was actually pretty cool. It's not something we've seen him do a whole lot in his career. Uh, but the, the three ball looks a little bit better over the last couple games as well. He just that's always been something that you kind of watch, look at him, and be like, oh, he looks like really comfortable taking that shot. It looks like something that's eventually going to start going in for him. Maybe that time is now. I mean, he's been shooting it a little bit better than his career percentage over the last five games. Uh, I mean, it, obviously it's, it still looks comfortable like it always does. Uh, he just seems like he's settling in a lot more recently. So 37 and a half percent from three uh, in the last five games. So definitely, I'll go definitely one better than that. that. Um, over the last 18 games since February 1st, he's 43% from the corners. Ooh, okay. Uh, Here we go. Three. And that, and that's a location that's going to be really important for a player like him too. So well, it is especially considering that he hasn't hit a non-corner three in that time also. So his his go. corner three percent is forty three percent. His non-corner three percent is zero, and his overall three point percentage during that time is thirty two percent. So uh, the corners are definitely JT's friends for right now. Um, but I th- that's definitely like if you look at the trends, uh, he started the year really cold, right? Yeah. Um, but he's he's generally been trending upwards recently. And I, I feel like the game's just, it's not showing up massively in the statistics yet, but I do feel like the game is slowing down a little bit for him. Like the foul rate's going down. Um, he's making some better positions with the basketball. He's even getting like some mid-range turnaround stuff, which like shows a level of comfort. Um, again, like the, the usage percentage is terrible. His rim percentage is 38%, which for like a six foot 10, like massive wingsman guy is like ridiculously awful. Um, but if you take away some of the statistics, because we know he's not a stat stuffer, I do feel like he is playing his role well and executing it to a better level. And the game is slowing down a little bit. Absolutely. And I think that that's probably been the reason he's been in the rotation is because none of him, Kai or or Book Knight or really even Bryce McGowan's for a decent portion of the season have been impacting the game in like a box score stat. Like it's not like any of them are going out there, 10 points, five rebounds, three assists, a steal and a block. But JT has been the one that has been able to impact the game positively without doing that. And for any low minute player, you're probably not going to be stuffing the box score anytime you go out anyway, unless you're like some microwave scorer type, but the Hornets obviously don't have a player like that. So that's definitely. I think that's been what's kept JT in the rotation. He's just a very sound basketball player for somebody that hasn't been playing high level basketball like a ton of minutes in his career. He's been in the rotation the most out of the young players, perhaps, but not a ton comparatively for uh, other young players. If you so. said to us on draft night, 
that out of James Bucknight, Kai Jones, T. Thor, and Scotty Lewis, that um, that JT Thor would be the guy who is most NBA ready to get right. rotation minutes. I mean, I don't know what the odds are getting on there. He, he was viewed as like a pre-draft guy, a project guy, because he was like, people thought he was going to go back to school and he ended up coming out. Um, so that, yeah, definitely a surprise there. Uh, one thing, like, what do you feel about his mid-range game? Because I like it personally. Like I, I, he looks more comfortable when you watched him in the, in the swarm last season, he's not played that much this year. But like the mid-range is where he was like most comfortable scoring the ball, like that turnaround. Uh, you know, he's got a really high release on his shot. Um, like I I know it doesn't fit well into a role player archetype, but I actually like would like to see him try and try and kind of drive to get to that mid-range area more and just pull up. I remember coming out of Auburn, that was like the selling point with JT mm. Thor was like big mobile four that has way more off the dribble, like pull up jumper juice than you would think just by looking at him on two point jump shots last uh, in at his Auburn career. He was 18 for 50, which is only 36 percent, but only 22 percent of those attempts were assisted. Extremely low number, like four out of every five jump shots he's taking uh, from inside the arc, essentially, were like self created pull ups. And for a freshman in the SEC, that's a pretty good number. And that seems to be kind of showing itself now as he really like establishes himself as an NBA player and gets used to being at that like higher level of competition and physicality and stuff and working with that. He, he's, I, I'm definitely a big fan of him kind of testing the waters with that and seeing where he can go. Cause if he can not only knock down threes consistently, but like attack a closeout, exactly. hit, hit a couple three dribbles, like into the middle of the paint, hit a nice little floater, like jumper leaner type thing that adds like a whole new layer to his game and makes it so he's much more of like an offensively potent four rather yeah. than someone who's more of just like a versatile defender type that hits open threes. I completely agree. I think the area that he still needs to work on is those, the three dribbles into the paint, which sounds really simple. Yeah, right. Well, but it's, it's it's very much not. Like, especially it's, for difficult. JT Thor at the minute. Like any form of contact, it can be from like a six foot one guard, like, and, and JT like picks up his dribble and passes it out. Like he is... So, so like still like narrow and thin he's still definitely growing into his, his frame um he just and he has like quite a high dribble that's the ir- issue for me it's like it's not the mid-range shot it's actually getting to a point where he can be comfortable and set to be able to get that shot away and the good news is like ball handling is one of the things that guys can work on like in the off season every single day every single day out um it, it's not a guarantee but it is one of those skills that generally does improve uh, as people get into the league. All right, who do we want to bounce up to next with uh, stock up, stock down? I don't know. I don't know if we ever even actually said it, but obviously JT Thor stock up. I, yes, so definitely stock, stock, stock up. Like not not soaring, but like steadily rising, reliably sure. increasing. Okay, it's like a steady stock, like a six out of ten on the risk register. Like it's it, it started a little bit rocky, but it's it's it inching up. All right, where are we going next? Uh, on I had one more young player left, and then a veteran here that we could talk about. Uh, okay, which, let's which go. One? Let's go vet. Let's go vet. All right, let's talk about Kelly Oubre. Hmm. Returned from injury uh, early in Feb or late in February. Has played every game since then, except for the first game against Cleveland, uh, and then in that stretch has had one game of lower than uh, sh- scoring less than fifteen points. 
He has three, four games where he scored more than 25 points. Uh, pretty much right back to what he was doing before he was injured, being one of the most reliable forms of offense and consistent scorers on the team. Obviously, the efficiency can range from being pretty poor to really good, like when he goes 10 for 17, 3 for 6 from 3, 4 for 4 of the line, scores 27 points in a nine-game win streak, or as they snapped the New York Knicks, nine-game win streak. Uh, And then you can go 5 for 15, 0 for 4 from 3 like he did against Brooklyn uh, the game before that. So what what were you thinking about Kelly Oubre? To me, his his stock is, is going up just inherently because when they didn't have him, that one option, that reliable option is just gone. And then he comes back, pretty much picked up right where he left off. So what about you? Uh, definitely up. I mean, how many times do we talk about players who come back from injury? And for um, especially like a long layoff, for a month, we're saying, well, you know, he's still getting his legs under him and he's still getting, you know, back into game shape. And we use all those things. And Kelly Oubre just came back from like day one and was like, yep, I'm good. Like, it was like he had never left the lineup. Um, and he's been remarkably consistent. He's not been playing almost, like, at all with LaMelo Ball, basically yeah. because of the way the injuries have, like, flip-flopped this year, um, which, you know, means that a lot of his shots are unassisted. Um, and he's still doing the same stuff we saw early in the year, like getting downhill, um, not settling for threes. The big thing, since the injuries come back, like, we wondered, right, did that hand injury influence, impact his three-point shooting percentage? Since he's been back, he's 41% from three. Um, before that, he was 31% from three before the injury. Now, that could just be a hot streak. It could be that he's he's fresh because he wasn't been playing a period of time. Um, it could just be small sample size theater. But if that keeps up between now and the end of the season, you know, even if it's in the 37, 38 range, um, that's, that's without Lamella Ball, remember, generating those high-quality shot attempts. I think that really shows that that injury might have had an impact on Kelly's shooting this year, which in that case, if you're adding like the, I don't know, some element of like the three-point shooting from last year into the kind of downhill aggressive driver that he is this year and with the kind of active defense, I'd say that like that is a really intriguing player. It's basically adding the best of both worlds. So I, I agree. Definitely Kelly stock up. Um, Austin Leak for All Hornets just wrote an article uh, about re-signing Kelly Oubre, and he, he's definitely a fan, and he talked a little bit in his piece about why the Charlotte Hornets should prioritize re-signing him this offseason. So make sure you go read that out. If you're if you're torn on the Kelly Oubre thing and you're not sure, uh, you know, go make sure you go read Austin Leak, All Hornets website, um, why the Charlotte Hornets should re-sign Kelly Oubre. But yeah, I've been... I've been really impressed. Um, got n- nothing but good things to say since he's come back. Yeah, absolutely. And I would have to imagine some competitor, like playoff team, is kind of kicking themselves right now for not trading a late first or a couple early seconds or future seconds yeah. for Kelly Oubre at the deadline. And I remember when we, he first got hurt, we were talking about, like, do we think this is going to make it like harder for him to get traded? And I'm, I think both of us landed – on the end of like, this actually might make it easier because if it actually, if he has the surgery and he becomes back as a better shooter, then you can just point to his inefficiencies in the first half and be like, obviously that was the problem. Now he's much better. The injury's healed and he can play. And he's yeah. shooting 41% from three, uh, 22.9 points and 6.6 rebounds per game, 46% from the field, 94.9% from the line on 4.9 attempts per game uh, since he came back. 
he's really just affected the game offensively in every way. Like he's not as much of a passer, obviously, but he's still gotten tons of reps as like a pick and roll ball handler. Uh, and he's not turning the ball over very much either, which a lot of people may have thought would happen if they gave if Kelly Oubre had a ton of like on ball reps and hasn't. So there's literally nothing really to complain about with him so far. He 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 has come back and took him one game to get back in the swing of things, and he's put up three games of twenty five plus, four games of twenty five plus since then. So no, ab- absolutely right. I mean. The thing that people don't talk about, and it's something that Marlon Garner actually mentioned uh, in our in our uh, part of the podcast we've got coming up here, is about getting to the line. Kelly Oubre, like for the perimeter players, is one of the best guys on the team of, of basically getting to the free throw line. Um, his and one percentage, 34.8%, is in the 83rd percentile for wings. Uh, that leads the team for anyone who isn't a big. And bigs just generally get fouled more. It's basically how it goes. Um, so... Yeah, I think Kelly's had a really good year here, and I really wouldn't be surprised when Mitch Kupchuk said we want to look at re-signing some of the veterans. Kelly Uri isn't one of the guys who they look at this offseason. Now, we have to remember the other things here, right? Miles Bridges, elephant still in the room. Plays some small forward, could play small forward under Steve Clifford. If so, could affect Kelly Uri. Where they land in the draft? If they end up with a Brandon Miller, if they end up with a Osar Thompson, like probably going to fill some of the Kelly Oubre minutes role, um, whether they feel he's ready or not, I, I don't know. But there are ways that I think the offseason could break that maybe it looks less likely when we get to July 1. But seeing here right now, knowing what we know, I think it's pretty clear that Kelly Oubre adds something to this team, would be a really good sick man for an offense that has struggled this year. And has shown some really nice development while in Charlotte. And most importantly, he actually wants to be here, which which was one of those things that like for any free agent in Charlotte, we we shouldn't uh, get we shouldn't not take notice of that when it's when it's been said. All right. We're gonna move on. Last player here. Do you wanna you wanna take a gander at who it might be? I, I guess I already gave you a hint by saying it was a, a younger player, but well it wouldn't be the old Hornets podcast. And it wouldn't be Chase if it wasn't Bryce McGowns. You're absolutely right, Bryce <laughs> McGowns. But I, I, I don't know. I, I actually deliberated over this for a long time, and it hurts me. I might have to say stock down here. Not, not you're, necessarily, you're right to say that. You're not right in the in that. the grand scheme of things, but certainly yep. in just the uh, like what have you done for me lately perspective. Uh, this is this is the rookie wall I think for Bryce McGowns. Uh, he's been. Pretty much like the in consistently 15 minutes or 10 minutes in the rotation a game. And he has been very inefficient. Uh, he has not scored more than five points a game in a game since February. Uh, he has made two three pointers in the month of March. Uh, not that it's, it's on super high volume or anything, but still, uh, it just has not really had the same level of just putting the ball in the basket, really, that he had at the beginning of the year. That was something that was kind of his strength. was Whenever he would play, he would get off the bench, he would score a little bit, and you'd be able to sit him back down and know that he at least didn't shoot you out of the game or something. And not that he's doing it now, but uh, definitely a bit of a drop-off in efficiency here lately for my man Bryce McGowan's. But it will turn around. Don't you worry. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I I have to be honest. I've been really... I don't want to say disappointed. Um, 
going down the stretch of the season here, Bryce McGowan's one of the guys I thought he could have a really good stretch with the opportunity, with minutes, um, and we could see <clears throat> kind of a little bit of a Bryce McGowan's breakout. It hasn't been that. If anything, it's been the opposite. You know, the flashes he showed earlier in the season were more promising than what he showed. I, I feel like, I mean, Steve Clifford even said, I think he hit the rookie wall a little bit, and then he said that we're in a pregame, and then someone asked Bryce McGowan, do you think you hit the rookie wall? And he was like, no. Um, so, which I get, right? You know, players don't, young players especially, don't always like show, want to show weakness, right? They want to say that they're always ready, everything like that, which which I don't blame Bryce for saying that. But I think you're right. I think he has. Um, the, the thing for me is he's just become a lot more passive. And I, I think he's trying to play a role, um, which, I, which I appreciate. Because you look at the Nebraska film, he was like, like inefficient volume chucker, like never saw a shot that he didn't like was like one of the scouting notes I had for him. And now he's far from that. So I give him a lot of credit for like being, for being able to like be versatile and changing how he approaches the game, which I think shows really promising things for him in terms of like being a role player. You look at some guys who maybe struggled more for playing time, like James Bucknight. He kind of looks very much like the same whenever you've seen him, you're not seeing him necessarily change in how he approaches the game. Bryce, you've definitely seen that, but like he is a scorer. He's never going to be a lockdown defender. And if Bryce isn't scoring, then he's not a fantastic passer. He's not a great defender. That's where his value is. And I would like to see him just try and be a little bit more aggressive, attacking the rim, looking for a step back. Um, he's still got a good foul rate, which is which is the positive thing. Which is one of the only kind of things that's really looking good if you look at the stats. But yeah, he's gone from someone who was flashing like oh look at the numbers you could be really exciting to now you look at the numbers and you're like eh which i think is more complicated than that i don't think the numbers are everything but um it's definitely been it's made me some it has i'll be honest it's made me rethink that okay he maybe he won't just like be automatically ready for rotation minutes next year which earlier in the season that's how i kind of felt it was gonna go yeah and the one thing that I have definitely noticed so far is that he, even though he's not necessarily finishing at a high rate, he does get to the rim a lot still, yeah. which I think is a good sign. Like that, his first step, the ball handling, uh, which I coming out of Nebraska, I thought his ball handling was like super impressive, uh, especially for a guy that was six seven and pretty thin. But uh, he's in the 90th percentile in uh, rim attempt frequency, 45% of uh, his 102 field goal attempts have come at the rim this year. So that's definitely a positive sign to see that he can still like get around his defenders and get to the rim. Uh, the finishing I think will come in time, especially as he bulks up a little bit, but this, this is something that I was kind of surprised about to see when I was uh, researching for this podcast, he's still played fewer minutes this season than Teo Maladon. Uh, Bryce is at 443 total minutes. Teo was at 528. So even though he's been in the rotation for probably two or three weeks now, he yeah. still hasn't played like all that much uh, this season and he's only a rookie. So, I mean, of course, like he's has not been nearly as good uh, as he was earlier in the year, or even like a month ago, but still hasn't played a ton either. So I'm sure he, part of it is just him getting used to the NBA uh, more so than, you know, a certain skill deficiency or anything like that. But I actually have a surprise for you because I want to add uh, one more quick player to this uh and i'm also going to make my own category it's called stock up but it might be going down if we get another bad game or two uh do you want to take a guess at who this is 
Um, Kai Jones? No, no. Actually, it is one Gordon Hayward who was playing <laughs> okay. extremely well uh, up he until was. the last three games. Uh, he had a two-point outing uh, against Detroit, and then he had, he had a pretty good game against uh, Cleveland the first time out, but uh, very, had a really, really good stretch there for going for a while. In the last 13 games, he's averaging mm. 17 points a game, shooting 51, 41, and 78 or 77 as his shooting splits with 4.7 rebounds and a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Pretty much all you'd want out of a guy that's, like, shouldering the more responsibility with LaMelo out and is essentially your, like, second point guard uh, on the team after the Terry Rozier-Dennis Smith combination. But I, I think most people would probably are, agree with the, Gordon Hayward being a better playmaker or at least a more consistently reliable, like, offensive initiator guy you can hand the ball to and, you know, rely on him to distribute it around to his teammates and get everybody involved than either Terry or Dennis. Uh, yeah, fortunately, he's had a couple lackluster games here, especially that season-low two-point game against Detroit, shot one for nine. But, I mean, he's been super efficient, uh, scoring, like, nearly 20 points a game, five assists. It's really all you kind of need from some guy that – a lot of people have had just kind of written off as a contributor and somebody that wasn't going to be able to provide value or lead this team to like play winning basketball. But I mean, he scored 27, 21, and then had 19 and six uh, in three wins over Minnesota, Miami, and Detroit. Uh, he had 26 and a win over Atlanta, uh, 23, nine and eight in a win over the Knicks that snapped their streak. Uh, this is all, it's all been going pretty well for Gordon Hayward recently. So hopefully this, uh, rough stretch rough ish stretch anyway that he hit here in the last couple games can turn itself around uh before this cleveland back-to-back ends chase i just want to say bravo to you right there because i just had like a mic meltdown um and i was issuing you to keep going and you did a sterling job oh i I saw it (laughs) i saw i I hope the listeners uh there was wires coming out there was it was all sorts going on there and you'd never have known you never even broke stride uh but i'm unveiling the curtain here to to tell people um so yeah gordon he he had those he looked fresh right he looked sprightly yes Um, he's dunking a lot a lot more than usual he was and i think that just comes to like he was feeling a little bit more healthy I think that's what it comes down to. You can really tell when Gordon is, um, when he's feeling that that kind of healthy side of it. And he's, I think he said as much in one of the post games. I heard him say like, like he was playing earlier in the year, but it was clear that he was not 100. Um, but yeah, I, absolutely. I think he's been playing better as of late, and it would be nice for him to be able to like finish the season playing basketball because that hasn't happened in the last right. what two years. Um, so so that would be a positive thing. Um, but I, I mean overall. I've got a word which I'm going to describe the Hornets as since Lamar's injury, and I think it's the perfect word. I thought about this today. They've been spunky. Do you not think they've been the spunky Hornets? Like they've been trying their best. They've been in games, um, overmatched, but like do, doing kind of like playing hard. Like you, you can't watch the games like it was earlier in the season. You you pulling your hair out. You you can't really do that at the minute. That is like the perfect word to describe this current iteration of the Hornets. This is like the fourth time I've mentioned it. The end of the Knicks win streak, which to me, that is like, so that is so good. Like as a team, that's like, you know, one of the four worst in the league, like what kind of things can you do 
to kind of boost yourself and give yourself some momentum other than that. Like that is, that is perfect. You walk into their arena end this nine game win streak that had their fans riding higher than they've ridden in the last probably 20 years. Uh, it, it just feels so good to do stuff like that. Um, but I mean, even down the stretch here, like they've played, like the defense has been so much better. Everybody has been playing with like so much effort. It's just been really great to see like nobody kind of faltering when a lot of teams would or could or have just kind of mailed it in at this point in the season. Absolutely. And I think that just goes to show some of the character of the team. It's got strong leadership. There is a culture there. And I think earlier in the year, right, we were probably, a lot of fans were questioning those sort of things with the manner of some of the losses, um, the inability to deal with setbacks and, it really feels like the team have grown up a lot, even though like you look at the record, most the majority, 99% of people will look at the record and just go, this, the Hornets stuck that year. But it does feel like you can point to some areas of progress in the last kind of like third of the season here. Um, when the Mellow Ball was playing, I think they were nine and nine in the last 18 games, I want to say, um, when they had Lamelo in the lineup. There, there are little things that I think at least you can point to and pull at. And hopefully there are some more here going down the stretch of the season um, to think that, you know, there are there is some reason for optimism for next year, irrelevant of where they end up drafting. All right. What do we got? We got, we got anything else to delve into here? No, I think um, we round up this well, we're going to get to the we're going to listen to our sponsors from DraftKings. True. Then we're going to hear from Marlon Garnett. But before we do, Chase, give people – do you have a final four or a pick for national championship for March? Ooh. All right. I, I'll, I'll give my champion. And my, my final four is Houston, Alabama, UConn, and Marquette. I believe the matchups would be reversed uh, right there. It would be Marquette and Alabama and then Houston and UConn. I have Alabama winning it over Houston in the national championship. Those are two – Probably the two Back best in my teams guy. in college. I know. I, the, probably the guy, two best Brandon. college teams all year. It's really hard, especially Houston. It's really hard to bet against teams that have a, like a perfect mix of veterans, like older college players and like really high level freshmen that can play in the NBA. My rule is to you cannot pick a national championship that or a national champion that doesn't have a future NBA player on the team. That is a very important part of like being a transcendent college basketball team, very rarely do teams win at all without having future NBA players on the team, even like mid-major squads that make a run. Um, that's one of my, probably my biggest uh, piece of advice for anybody making a bracket. Don't pick a team that doesn't have a future NBA player. Um, but other than that, I'm just super excited for March to get going here. The Hornets fans, once again, have a lot of uh, vested interest in how some of these players play. Um, trying to think. Jarris Walker, Brandon Miller, Nick Smith, Keontae George. Uh, those are probably the four players for any Hornets fan that's thinking, hey, our team isn't very good right now. Uh, I haven't watched a ton of college basketball. Like, what March Madness games or players should I be watching for? I would say any of those four guys uh, would be it. I agree. Um, I do, I've not even looked at the bracket yet. It's on my to-do list. So I'm just going to bail out and not give predictions here. So, But Chase has got you covered there. Um, right, let's, let's take a break. Hear from our friends from DraftKings. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hands with DraftKings Sportsbook 
an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and the existing customers get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get your bonus bet back. So, one bet I'm looking out for is the Hornets against the Suns. Kevin Durant's first game back. Everyone's going to juice the Suns. Everyone's going to juice Kevin Durant overs. I'm going for Kevin Durant unders. I also think the Hornets might cover that game. Be the first time with Phoenix playing with a lot of their new team. Uh, first time with Kevin Durant. He'll probably be on a minutes limit. He'll be a bit rusty. So I'm pairing Kevin Durant with Hornets unders for my same game parlay. So, to bet, download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Joining us now on the All Hornets podcast is Hornets assistant coach, Marlon Garnett, who's just finished up with practice. Coach, how, how's, how are the guys looking? Looking really good. I think they're locked in. You know, Obviously, this is kind of a you know playoff setting when you play that back-to-back against the same team. So you're able to look at the film and see what adjustments you can make. So I think we got a pretty good game plan going into tonight's game and see if we can actually come out with a win. thought we played pretty good in the first game, so see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to touch on kind of a a wide range of topics here. Um, Uh But we're going to start with the really, really important stuff. That uh, According to your Wikipedia, your nickname is Money G. So we, we want to know if that's real or if one of your friends is stitching you up there. Can we, can we argue if that's the, the more important stuff? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it, is, it is a real thing. Um, it was a, a nickname that was given to me by my brother. And I actually have a tattoo of it, so that makes it permanent and real in my head. Um, I've always had a knack of, like, having good feel and good touch shooting the basketball. So he uh, he said it was like money in the bank when I shot it. And that became like my inner circle um, name that a lot of people use. And it's it's interesting that most of the teams that I've gotten to, people just got comfortable calling me, calling me money. Even back when I was in Atlanta, I actually had Nate McMillan calling me money. And to this day, <laughs> that's what he calls me. So um, uh, I respond to it. Uh, um, it's a name that. You know, I don't mind people using, so it's all good. That's a that's a great backstory to a nickname because it's got positive <laughs> connotations, right? Because you, that's what everyone said about you, which is which is really good. I'm I'm curious, are there other nicknames that you can share uh, on the Hornets team amongst coaches or players that any fans might not not hear about or know about at all that you can think of? I don't know of the ones. I do believe that there are some. I think. The players kind of say it amongst themselves. Feathers. You know, um, I try to keep it professional and call them by, you know, their first name or their last name. Sometimes I'll even dress them with a mister. So I'm not sure, but I'm sure there's a lot of nicknames that are out there. So you've had a lot of places that you've been to in your career, multiple stops as a coach, as a player as well. Mm-hmm. What made you want to go to the Hornets specifically after you departed from Atlanta? Was there anything appealing about the organization or the franchise? Yeah, I mean, a number of reasons. Originally, 
from Los Angeles. But um, my wife and I decided to kind of do a lifestyle change. And back in 2007, we moved to Charlotte. Um, so Charlotte had been home base since then. And, you know, I had other stops. I was in San Antonio, I was in Phoenix, and most recently before coming here in, in Atlanta. But uh, upon moving here, I was still in my playing career, but I always thought how neat would it be, you know, to coach in the city that we kind of made home base. So it was kind of a personal personal reason to want to get back here to, to Charlotte and be in, you know, in the city that I call home now. Um, another reason was Coach Borrego, who I worked with when I was with in San Antonio. And when Coach Norad left and they had that opening, he reached out and, you know, we spoke and I, I just found it intriguing opportunity to come being that it was going to be a, a elevated coaching role and coaching responsibilities to leave Atlanta. Um, interestingly enough, I actually had signed an extension in Atlanta prior to talking to, to Hornets um, and, you know, ended up coming here. And the last reason was that made it like really interesting is the opportunity and the chance to get to, you know, try to impact LaMelo with his development, you know, a young, um, young up and coming kind of rising star. So that, um, that opened my eyes to, to make the jump, make the leap. Well, that's a, that's a great segue, Marlon, onto our next topic, which I was going to speak to you about LaMelo because you are LaMelo's kind of allocated assistant coach. And I know you do a lot of work with him. Uh, in terms of when we saw LaMelo on the court this year, uh, what were the biggest areas of growth that you saw from him kind of compared to his, his first year and previous years in Charlotte? So most importantly, the one that sticks out the most that we, we really emphasize going into this second year is basically just kind of slowing him down. We want to really polish his pick and roll game. Um, so just being a little bit more patient, um, waiting on screens and using setups to be able to create the separation to get him downhill. Not that he really needs it, but it just makes him a little bit more efficient. I mean, he's good enough and he's skilled enough where even if he's not waiting on screens, he still can can have an impact. But we just wanted to like polish that up and clean that up. Another area we focused on is to try to get him little nuances to try to get him to the line. I mean, he's a good free throw shooter percentage wise. Um, but he didn't really take a lot of attempts. So that's been kind of the focus this year with um, looking at opportunities, watch a lot of film on, um, you know, little areas where he can get bumps when he has an advantage over defender, slow down a little bit, you know, cause the defender to kind of run into him and, and still be able to finish plays, you know, at the rim. So those are probably the two main ones that, you know, we looked at this year. Um, obviously he's been in and out of the lineup. And it was unfortunate here toward the end of the season. But, you know, that's something that we'll continue to to focus on and, you know, try to improve upon because I think it helps us as a team as well. Yeah. And I, I know this year, like, if you look at some of the numbers, the the kind of three-point rate really took a little bit of a jump um, and maybe some of the rim attempts dropped a, a little bit. Do, do you, Is that kind of something that you kind of leaned into because of the strength of that, you know, deep, contested outside shooting or well, was that kind of a little bit injury related maybe? Cause obviously he wasn't at full go with some of his ankle injuries at times coming back from the sprains. It could be a combination of all that. We don't really like focus on taking, you know, deep threes. He's, he's instinctual when it comes to the shooting aspect, when it comes to, 
reading the game. I mean, such a dynamic passer. Obviously, his size helps him a ton to be able to deliver passes. Um, so I think it's just a credit to him and his ability as a shooter that he's able to – he has a, a versatile kind of arsenal of, of how he shoots. He can shoot him off the catch. He can shoot it off the bounce. And I think another area that we would like to see him is to play off the ball because he can shoot him, you know, coming off screens, uh, singles and staggers, uh, if you will. Um, he's really good in backside action, especially coming to his right hand. So um, that's another area that we can kind of look into getting him more opportunities and more touches off the ball. Yeah, and then just last question on Lamelo. Um, his defense is something that I noticed uh, really, I thought really picked up this year compared to his mm -hmm. first couple of years in the league. Just talk a little bit about kind of what areas specifically you see he's he's grown there. Whether it's uh, you know understanding coverages, communication, just you know ability to to play through contact and screens. Uh, yeah, so, where, where have you seen growth? So part part of it is that what you just said is just his his commitment to you know that energy and that effort on a consistent basis, which um, I commend him for. He's been really good from that that standpoint. And the conversations that we had is like. You know, it's not going to be perfect, but we just need you to be able to do your part. And you mentioned the one area that he's he's done, I think, a really good job is at least navigating screen. So he's not getting hit as much. We would like to see him and who knows if it's even something that he can do, like more more physical, getting into the ball and be the aggressor early. But if he's continuing to, you know, maneuver and, and, and navigate through screens and not get hit and is able to get back in front of the ball, I mean, that's going to be tremendous. Um, there are opportunities where teams, they they haven't really posted him a ton, but the ones that they have, he's done a really good job of, you know, standing our, our scheme of, of writing. We call it red, where, you know, he's front of the post, just trying to challenge that catch. Um, I have tons of clips that I've showed him with, with doing that. So just the engagement um, and the understanding that he has of wanting to approve in that area has is, is helped us a, a ton, I believe. So you mentioned the terminology that you guys use for Lamella, like post-defense fronting the guys red. Mm -hmm. What, as an assistant coach who was here when Borrego was here as well and stayed on staff when Steve Clifford was hired, is that, do you guys have to change your terminology a lot? Is it like kind of working with Coach Clifford to bridge the gap maybe? And no, you, you do. Um, you know, certain coaches are, are used to a certain terminology and regardless of coach or not or whatever the terminology is, it's very important to all be on the same page. I mean, that's from top to bottom with the staff and and the players amongst themselves. So it's really important that everybody's on the same page. You know, when a coach is watching film with another guy, he wants to be saying the same language that everyone else is saying, um, uh, the players as well. So. There's some small things. The NBA is kind of universal. You have like three different things that you can say for the same thing. It's just a matter of which one that you use. So it just takes some getting used to and, you know, uh, some practice and everybody get on the same page. You know, everything is fine. And then some fans might not know this necessarily, but uh, assistant mm -hmm. coaches in the league tend to be like assigned to groups of players to work with developmentally. Uh, Kai mm -hmm. Jones is another one of the guys that you work with pretty closely what areas of growth have you seen from him this year compared to his rookie season or the season before last so the biggest one is probably um his evolution and 
you know, he's still working at it. He's doing a really good job of staying committed and diligent about the work, but just his feel and his touch around the rim, finishing around the rim and in the paint. So we do a, a, a lot there. The, um, the intriguing part about Kai is that um, we use him as a four and a five. So the part for him is knowing and being able to play both positions. Um, so we do a lot of stuff, you know, from the five position. So getting comfortable with being in that dunker position and kind of working that low zone behind, you know, bigs that step up and help. I mean, obviously he's very long and very athletic. So he's a lob threat in that area, but those opportunities when he can't get all the way there and, and jump over or duck on someone, he kind of has to have that, that little bit of finesse game and touch game to still be able to make plays uh, around the rim. So we've been working a ton, ton there, you know, when he's at the four, just his reads and space in the floor and on his drives, being able to, to have a counter move. Um, he's very right-handed, but just try to open up his game to be able to get to his left as well. So he's not putting himself in a, in a hole. Yeah. I mean, he, we've seen him expand on that, like little mid range, like fadeaways from the middle of the paint. He's hit a couple of those this year. And especially for somebody that has to go kind of go back and forth between the four and the five uh, defensively, especially, is that more so like that getting used to that role just takes experience and time, or is that something that you can kind of watch in the film room? And well, it, it's, it's a both it's, it's watching film as well. You know, obviously with, his ability to get downhill, we would prefer him to put, We I, I use the term pressure on the rim. And in a lot of ways, that can be another area that we work on is his screening technique, his angles. But once he does get a good screen, is rolling. So he's putting pressure on the rim that way, whether it's a drop off to him to get a layup or a dunk, or it sucks in the defense to get us, you know, three-point shots. Um, and again, you mentioned to him being on uh, at the four when teams collapse and the ball is kicked to him, obviously playing the second side or being able to see a, a DHO that might be open working uphill. But there's op also opportunities for him to drive a closeout. And those are the opportunities where, you know, we want him to put pressure on the rim and get to the rim, because um, when you look at the, the larger body of, of work when he's played in the G League, his percentage shooting at the rim is, I mean, it's really, really good. So that's kind of been the focus is to don't settle, you know, try to get all the way there, get fouled. Um, he's improved his free throw shooting percentage um, a lot this year. So it's an area that we'll continue to, you know, harp on. So we're going to shift gears a little bit here, talk a little bit about the, the defense, uh, especially over the last 18 games since February 1st, Charlotte are sixth in defense, which, I, I mean, I know this obviously season hasn't gone the way that, that anyone would have wanted to do and injuries have a large part to do with that. But you, you, the staff and the players, have to be a little bit proud about the kind of defensive surge that you've had in the last month or so here. Just what is it specifically uh, that you think the team are doing so much better now in terms of executing, which has helped kind of lead to that improved defensive rating? Well, first off, it's a, a kind of a simple answer. You know, we just finished our walkthrough for, for today's game. And I just think that guys are just putting a lot more into it um, as far as their approach and their mindset. You know, they're, they're focusing and being locked in to the game plan, to, you know, the adjustments we want to make the schemes that we want to have based on 
you know, game by game based on the team that we're, we're facing. So that's that's one of the bigger the bigger areas is the energy and our walkthroughs have been better. But specific to kind of basketball terms, our three three point defense has been much better. And um, that's a result of just our closeout game. Guys are, are closing out a little bit better, taking away airspace a little bit better, contesting a little bit better. Uh, proper technique, which we we harp on. Coach Cliff is big on the technique part of it. You know, we've been drilling that with what time that we do get. We don't get a lot of time to practice, but with what time we we do get, we try to make sure we're drilling that. Our rim protection isn't great. Um, you know, Mark, big guy around the rim. Nick has been really good, and obviously when Kai's at the five, that's helped our defense. In, you know, in our recent games here, our pick and roll defense. It's been good. Our guys are talking early. And I was just looking at some numbers and Terry and, and Dennis's, you know, numbers have been much better with getting into the ball, like getting over screens and our, our bigs, you know, talking the coverage and communicate cover, communicating the coverage has been been very, very helpful for us. And controlling the ball is probably one of the other areas that early in the year we were getting beat off the bounce some off the first dribble when guys were just you know, taking on the challenge, taking pride and keeping the ball in front. So it's helping us keep the ball out of the paint, which doesn't stress our defense. We don't have to help as much. I mean, it, it's pretty impressive to see that kind of improvement as well, because at the trade deadline, two veterans left the team. Lamelo is obviously hurt now. Mm-hmm. The guys that are there now, a lot of young players getting minutes in the case of Bryce, of really the first time he's ever gotten yeah. consistent rotation minutes in his career, it must. Does it say a lot about those guys, like the ability well, that, that they've had like, to step it up? Like I said, it's a testament to to those guys. Just, I mean, they have compete in them, and it was just a matter of you know coming in and locking into what we were wanting them to do and what's going to help the team. And you know they've they've accepted the challenge, so hopefully we can continue to use this as a step in the right direction and keep moving moving on the upward path defensively because it's going to help us down the line. For sure. And I know this year that the team has unfortunately, you know, suffered a lot of injuries, right? And mm-hmm. I'm always curious, you hear some stories of players really like struggling with injuries, being away from the team. I mean, there was a big Greg Oden article recently, which was an interesting read, talking about his his struggles when he was in Portland. What are the, some of the things that like the team or coaching staff kind of do to try and keep like injured players engaged if they're not around the team uh, to try to keep them part of their like team culture and ethos because that's something that i've read you know can be something that can be challenging when you're when you're injured or not part of the team is, is there anything that you guys do just to try to keep people engaged yeah we we keep the guys around as much as possible uh, we have a great medical staff so they're close to us and we we see the guys when they are getting treatment so it's opportunities for us um to sit down and watch film with them we're, we're thinking up some creative ways with Melo, obviously not being able to play the, the rest of the season um, of using maybe some of the playoff games to, to sit down and watch with him in areas where we could, you know, try to approve of on. It doesn't have to always be physical, but, you know, we can use some, some other areas. So that's, that's one of the ways that we, we do try to just keep them engaged is through film. Film is like our best friend, especially throughout the year with non-injured players, just because practice time is so limited. So, you know, what do you do with the, the low minute guys that didn't play? Uh, so you've mm. got to be creative with that. So that that's probably the biggest way is through film, just because they're not playing in a game. 
the coverages and the schemes that we're trying to do in a game doesn't change. So, like, for example, if I'm watching something with Melo, I can use Terry. I can use Dennis as an example because it's the same position that they're playing uh, to be able to get the point across. So, yeah. When when you watch kind of some of the the film, you talk about some of the playoff film. Are there particular teams or players you like to to watch with Lamelo in terms of, or do you just kind of take a little bit from everywhere? Yeah, it just depends. You know, it, it's a feel thing. Obviously, we don't know once these playoffs start. You know, you'll watch a game and you'll see how a game ended, and if it was a close game or overtime game, maybe those last few minutes are good ones, so we can kind of see how a team was manipulating a certain matchup or whatnot, or the patience that a team had and how they executed, um, slowed the, you know, slowed the game down, the pace of the game, pace of play. Uh, you just create it with the areas that you want to focus on on that particular day. All right, coach, we got one more question for you. We really appreciate you coming on here. So no thank you for taking the time to be with us. Awesome. Uh, what is one thing that you're most looking forward to seeing or something that you would like to see uh, from the Hornets down the stretch run here? We've got almost exactly a month until the regular season closes. Is that, how, is that only that much left? I, th- I think it's like April 15th, maybe, <laughs> is when the, the first playoff game. So it, it's flown by, honestly. Yeah, this this season, this is one of those ones, you know, how when you get to this point, uh, you feel like, oh, it was, it was a drag. It was going slow. And then when you get to the end, it's like, wow, I flew by a little bit. But it feels like it's flown by throughout the whole time. Um, I still remember us being at, at Summer League. But to answer your question, uh, one of the biggest areas is probably our, our defensive rebounding and being able to finish possessions to really solidify the defense that we talked about that's, that's improved a, a, a ton, is being able to finish those possessions with a, with a rebound, not allowing teams to have second possessions and second opportunities. Um, another area is just our rim and our paint decisions offensively, um, like tonight, Obviously, Allen is out, but, you know, you got big guys like Mobley and some of these centers. You know, we, we tend to sometimes challenge these guys at the rim. So just our, our decisions when we get to the rim can, can kind of be better. Um, another area, probably get into the free throw line. You know, if you look at the, the analytic numbers, it's like a 1.5-something possession this this year in the NBA, you know, made free throws. So it's like the highest quality of shot that you can get. So the more of those we can get, obviously we had to convert and make them. Um, we've had games where we didn't shoot a great percentage once we got there, but, you know, obviously want to get there first and then, you know, knock those in. So I think those are areas that can really help us here down in the stretch. Great. Well, well Marlon, thanks a lot for coming on. Do, do you have any uh, off-season vacation plans? Anything booked in yet? Any any? Off to any festivals, anything like that. I'm I'm kind of a homebody. Um, I think there's a there's a wedding that may come up. I might have to get to the Bahamas at some point. Um, If that's Kai for some tips, right? To Kai, give you some tips there. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But most likely, just just be around Charlotte. Uh, This is a city that I love to to be in. My my kids and my wife. They still live in Atlanta. They stayed in Atlanta when I took the job here. So just looking forward to school year being over and they come to Charlotte. And I'll just be around, you know, the gym, trying to get guys better, which is all really the vacation that I need. 
Well, Marlon, thanks a lot for giving us so much of your time. Uh, we wish you best of luck with the rest of the season. Enjoy the Bahamas if you're able to get out there. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll look forward to catching up with you again in the future. It's been a pleasure. Good meeting you guys. Thank, Thank you, you too. Take care.